Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast podcast, a lone audio flare sent up amongst the burning trash fire of politics, trying to warn others to stay away, but knowing full well they'll just think, ooh, even more pretty lights and become consumed. This is episode 142. I'm Tin and do you? That was a bit bleak, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh well. I'm Tin and do you? But this week, as Prime Minister, an amalgamation of before images on a Volterol advert, Theresa May, announces that the local election results show that voters want her to just get on and deliver Brexit, I have decided to follow that initiative too and if you all stop listening to this podcast start sending me hate mail about how awful it is and try to destroy the entire medium of podcasts because of it i'll take that as an indication to carry on and make each episode at least four hours long you're welcome how do you like to interpret your local elections? Did the result of a low turnout localised vote that only took place in certain parts of the country absolutely state how everyone felt about the national issue of Brexit one way or the other? The answer, if you want it to, is, of course, yes. Because what else will you say online that makes it look like you're not entirely dead inside, desperate for something to digitally vomit out? How else will you get back the public you've already lost, if not through sheer blind confidence and stupidity? What else will you write an opinion piece on if there's nothing else to have opinions on as everyone stopped caring? If you're Theresa May, then, oh God, I'm so sorry, it must be like peering out at the world through an Iron Maiden. But also, you'll then look at the Conservatives losing 1,351 seats and control of 45 councils and think, hmm, this is all just the British people's way of saying, I'm not going in hard enough. Like how if the police arrest you because you're in the park streaking while shouting everyone must die and running around punching children, then of course all those coppers who are restraining you and telling you you'll go down for a long time are really saying, next time, embrace it and do it all bigger. Sure, why not? Believe in yourself as it's clear absolutely no one else does. If I lost 1,351 seats, then I'd know I was in immense trouble, or at least I'd be fired from my job in Ikea. Arf. Labour lost 307 seats, which party leader and WOMAD mascot Jeremy Corbyn said meant that voters want a deal done on Brexit. And yes, of course, that's what they wanted you to realise, Jezza. They said, we're going to withdraw support from what your party is doing to show you that we really want you to sort things out quicker. I mean, when Debenhams went into administration recently, that was just because everyone loved it so much that they withheld all their money from it to show them. Hmm... 
Meanwhile, ardently pro-Remain parties, the Lib Dems, gained 676 seats, which means, as Lib Dem leader and cauliflower with eyes Vince Cable said, that they are a major force. You know, in the same way that community support officers are, in that if there's absolutely no-one else around and you're in a crisis, hey, I guess they'll do. The Greens more than doubled their previous winnings with 185 gains, which they put down to not only a Remain sentiment, but also environmental activists' extinction rebellion highlighting climate change issues. And yes, that makes sense, as voting them into councils could really change which recycling bins you have. And UKIP are 145 seats down on the 2015 local election, which party leader and human entirely composed of things you find at the back of your fridge after you've been on holiday, Gerard Batten, hasn't said anything about because he probably doesn't understand it. He has, however, announced his resignation date because it's impossible for him not to make a big deal about leaving things. Batten is, of course, actually stepping down in order to scare children on a ghost train in Minehead. Perhaps the most telling of all the results is that independent candidates gained 662 seats, showing that either everyone is sick of all the parties and want a more localised power system to cater for their needs, or that we all have someone on our street's neighbourhood watch that if you're clever and you vote them in during the locals, they'll have even less time on their hands to bother you about your hedge. What we do know is that with early reports of voter turnout being only 34%, and it only being 248 councils of the whole country, using that as a template for Britain is akin to visiting Switzerland and deciding everywhere else else in the world is exactly like that. I mean, it's not. I mean, why do you think they have voluntary euthanasia and absolutely no one else does? Yeah, exactly. Personally, I didn't vote as there weren't any elections where I live, and I hope all the politicians understand that by not voting when I couldn't, that that's a clear message that crisps should be free for everyone, and I'd like them all to get off with Brexit, however they choose to interpret that. Actually, while I'm making light of not voting because I couldn't, former Foreign Secretary and Armadillo fighting its way out of a burlap sack, but in a suit, Boris Johnson tweeted that he'd just voted Conservative in the local elections, despite there not being any in London where he lives. The tweet was deleted, but it does make you wonder which school playground he'd just wandered into before pushing a teacher aside to mark a big X on the class register by anyone who had at least a double-barrelled surname. In the Northern Irish local elections, the Alliance Party, a centrist group deemed neither unionist or nationalist but other, doubled their representation probably because more and more Northern Irish citizens have realised why have two arguing parties who can't get along or form an assembly into your council when you could just have one. The DUP, a.k.a. the political party for people who want smiling banned from public places, had their first openly gay councillor, Alison Bennington, elected in Antrim and Newton Abbey. Though I worry she won't put her heart into her seat as if she seems even remotely like she's getting married to the job, her party will probably kick off about that sort of thing. As voting closed on Thursday night, it was revealed that the Prime Minister had fired Defence Secretary, a.k.a. Isaac from Children of the Corn, Gavin Williamson, after Number 10 stated that he was responsible for leaking details from a National Security Council meeting about the 5G deal with Huawei. You know, a company the government were warned against working with because there might be security issues. Yes, there's a whole new verse for Alanis Morissette right there. Gavin Williamson denies that he leaked the details because, of course, he's at his most defensive once he's left the job. And he also said that further rumours of him saying May's type 1 diabetes made her unfit to be Prime Minister or that he kept wanting to start wars abroad were all false. Let's be fair, type 1 diabetes isn't what makes May unfit to be Prime Minister. In fact, it's probably the only ounce of sweetness that she has in her being. But it's not hard to believe that Gavin Williamson wanted to start unnecessary wars. I mean, he once said that the British Army must be prepared to use hard power, despite that sounding a lot like a gay diet. Group. The government have said that they won't press charges against Williamson, but who needs charges when you're the only person in the May government who's been given the sack? I mean, Transport Secretary and flukeworm man Chris Grayling is still there, but you, Gavin, you're gone. Now that's hard power. 
Williamson is yet another example of the Conservatives picking the right candidates for the job. That's now a Defence Secretary who's leaked national secrets, a Transport Secretary who hires ferry firms with no ferries, a Foreign Secretary that doesn't know where his own wife is from, a Culture Secretary that doesn't read the papers, a Northern Ireland Secretary that has no clue about Northern Irish history, an International Trade Secretary who's a twice-disgraced MP who doesn't know what WTO stands for, a Home Secretary that doesn't understand citizenship rules, a Justice Secretary that fiddles expenses, a Health Secretary that doesn't understand test results, a Work and Pension Secretary who lost her previous job through carelessness but wasn't penalised, an Environmental Secretary that approved fracking, and a Prime Minister who's definitely not in her prime. Well, once May resigns, at least she has prospects of hosting the next season of The Apprentice if Alan Sugar steps down. Williamson has been replaced by Penny Mordaunt, a woman who always looks like she'd park a 4x4 in the middle of the road and they'll tell everyone who complained that it was their own selfish fault for having cars that can't squeeze around it. Mordaunt is well known for making a speech in Parliament about poultry welfare just so she could say cock a lot in order to win a Navy dare. I mean, as if you had to make up a speech to justifiably say cock in Parliament. Just point round the room and say what you see. Jesus. Anyway, I look forward to the UK getting nuked by some foreign power because a sailor better a fiver she couldn't call their leader a shitbag during a speech to them about manure. Withered Ken Dodd, Rory Stewart, has taken Mordaunt's place as Secretary of State for International Development, which is great as during his time as Minister for Prisons, they saw a huge rise in violence and it seems very responsible, allowing him to try and do the same, but on a global stage. In other also big news, Parliament approved the motion to declare a climate emergency. There's no legal precedent for the government to act on a climate emergency or set any guidelines as to what has to happen now that one's been announced. But hey, it's nice that someone said it, so now it's official, eh? Nothing's going to save the planet like extra potential, well, I warned you, opportunities. Hmm. <laughs> The Climate Change Committee's report has called for the UK's carbon emissions to be net zero by 2050, but in the same week, the High Court rejected a legal challenge against Heathrow's third runway. So, do the legal eagles know something we don't? Will the third runway be purely for paper aeroplanes, or people to run around making plane sounds with their arms outstretched? Who knows, but again, it feels like any parliamentary promises to actually do something are just adding to the dangerous emissions already being released. Campaigners from Extinction Rebellion met Environmental Secretary and owner of a face made of giblets, Michael Gove, where they said, and I quote, it was less shit than expected, but only mildly. I think that sums up Gove perfectly. Like visiting a turd-based theme park and it's still somehow managing to disappoint by not being enough. Fiona, I'm driven but actually I'm not, on Asanya, has been removed from her seat in Peterborough following her conviction for perverting the course of justice and a subsequent recall petition in her constituency. Silly Fiona, she should have just betrayed the Official Secrets Act and she'd still have her seat. Oh, if only she knew. There will now be a by-election on June the 6th where it's reported that Ship Magic 1 Jacob Rees-Mogg, his sister and woman who always looks like she's about to kidnap Paddington Bear, Anand Ziata Rees-Mogg, will stand. Though I'm pretty sure that's just because she thinks all the chairs there are too grubby and far too common for her to sit on. Anne and Ziata would be running for the Brexit party if she does, who is still in the lead for the polls for the upcoming EU elections, because apparently the local elections showed that the country wants to remain, apparently. Party leader and misshapen testicle in a wig, Nigel Farage, has challenged Jeremy Corbyn to a televised debate, which is very much a trap for the Labour leader, as if he refuses, he's seen as cowardly, and if he does it, then he's legitimising Farage. Personally, I think it should happen, as that would mean it'd set a precedent for party leaders to debate frog faces from groups with no elected officials. And while that'd be shit for ages and ages, eventually it'd lead to Theresa May versus Kermit. And that is totally worth it. 
Former Brexit Secretary and nostril Dominic Raab has stepped up his leadership bid, backed by other former Brexit Secretary and stuff that you find in the back of a washing machine, but as a person, David Davis. Yes, a man who is shit at his job thinks another man who is shit at his job would be great at being in charge of a lot of people who are shit at their jobs. Doesn't Davis realise that Raab will likely back out of his own leadership bid at the last minute, saying that he cannot in good conscience back it? And lastly, pummeled turnip and fascist Tommy Robinson had milkshakes thrown on him on two consecutive days while campaigning for the EU elections in Warrington. Good. But hey, who knew he was intolerant of dairy as well? Howdy, Parpol Brods. Another short week, or as I think it should be called, a wook or a wee. Uh, there are so many bank holidays this time of year, um, or as us self-employed say, days when people are in our way. I mean, there were far too many people in the supermarket today for a Monday, and that is just rude. How would you like it if I turned up to do my shopping on a normal weekend sometime? Hmm? Which, I mean, I do, so I'm being a hypocrite. It's just that maybe I would like it if whenever I wanted to go to the shops or the park or anywhere where other people might ruin it, that they could all just clear out and get on with other stuff so I can enjoy it by myself. I think the only ways that I can make that happen... Uh, obviously are either becoming so famous and important that I have security types uh, that do that for me or the absolute reverse and I just openly walk around looking a bit crazy with a shotgun. I can't really see either happening anytime soon and frankly I'm probably better off just making irritated huffing noises as that lady with the hat stands in front of the margarines for over five goddamn minutes. How hard is it to choose? They will all clog your arteries in pretty much the same way. Ugh, I'm not even angry today. I've actually, I've actually just had a lovely weekend at Matt Comedy Fest where I did my new work in progress show to you some lovely people who are way too nice about all my jokes and have made me certain that they'll bomb elsewhere. Uh, that's generally what happens at McCunlith and I've wised up to it. Uh, I know that they're all overly nice there and I'm not going to fall for it again. Ha! Yeah, see it. See if I do it again. Ha! Yeah, nice try, guys. We uh, we stayed in a very nice uh, cottage in Chorus Uchaf, which has been pointed out to me sounds very much like a Game of Thrones character and the place was very child-friendly uh, apart from the cold, hard stone floors, which are the exact opposite of child-friendly in every way. Uh, massive child unfriendly every time we went home one of us would have to follow our daughter like an unwanted cumbersome and aged shadow screaming no every single time it looked like she might smash her face in so uh, all in all a very lovely relaxing time it's amazing how parenthood regularly makes the only benefit of going away for a few days the bit when you come back to your home with no pointy things anywhere ridiculous anyway uh, here you are here this is and as i want to do every week i thank you lots for having a listen to this show and this week i'd also like to give a big thanks to taz and tessa for donating to the Kofi account and to tammy for the uh, patreon donation all of which are very appreciated this week and uh, all went towards coffee on the m54 which was disappointing but necessary what is with the coffee machines that don't have any indication of where the cup should go underneath so you essentially pay for some hot water in a cup and then a shot of coffee and milk to your trousers uh, although to be fair that did wake me up quite a lot so i suppose it did its job um if you too would like to donate to this show then please buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash parpol bro or join the patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpol bro um either of those would be wonderful and if you can't do that then please review the show and hey on uk itunes the podcast is now at 150 reviews yeah fire the glitter cannons oh no now someone has to pick all of that up oh well it's going to be everywhere forever isn't it oh, i'm going to keep finding it so annoying but thanks to those of you that helped do that um 
more reviews are of course always welcome on whichever pod app that has reviews that you like and if you don't want to review it for some weird reason or maybe you've already reviewed it then a cheeky tweet or an Instagram or just paying for a billboard with your words of support for this show uh, across them on some sort of major road that will also suffice but you know obviously don't do anything too over the top please um, admin this week is short and sweet like my diabetic lifespan um, I'm on the It Dies Here podcast uh, this week that should be out by the time you hear this um, it's hosted by the very funny and charming Akin Omobitan and is all about airing an incident uh, that you regret so uh, I do that on the podcast and I had very much fun uh, doing so um, so check that out if you'd like to find out what it was it was quite embarrassing to be honest so um, probably worth it for that. not remotely politics related more awkward uh, teenage romance related um, also the the kids politics comedy show that I do uh, how does this politics thing work then is on at the quarter house in Folkestone on the 25th of May at 11.30am and then at the Underbelly Festival on Southbank on the 30th and 31st of May um, so that's only 800 odd seats that myself and Tatan at Simple Politics have to fill so if you fancy putting some of your and your children's bums on those very seats then please do grab tickets at the relevant venue websites um, there are a lot of seats to fill and obviously the Conservatives won't be filling them because <laughs> they've lost all their seats. <laughs> you should have done that. Brought it back round. So put, put your bums on those seats. Buy tickets. Please buy tickets. Thanks. Um, this week's show, it is local elections a go-go. What happened and what didn't happen and what did it mean? Um, spoiler, it meant that an election happened and the Conservatives got destroyed and beyond that, not quite as much as you might think. Um, plus, despite not thinking there would be an interview this week, there is. Hooray! And it's with the brilliant Michael Marshall who's been on this show before, many moons ago, talking to me about his investigations into flat earth theory and how that correlates with other radical groups and theorists that are permeating the political fold. And at no point on the show will I be mentioning the royal baby. Nope. Uh, I mean, how selfish of Meghan to give birth on a bank holiday, so if that baby does end up doing something amazing like slaying a dragon or fighting the Night King, then no one is going to get any extra days off from it. That is rude. Still, when I read the Duchess of Sussex was going into labour, I was surprised, as I was very certain she'd be a Tory. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get cracking right into this. I love the flat earth theory. I mean, just imagine that the earth is a disc floating through space alongside other discs until some giant alien overlord tries to play us like a mega CD, causing our eventual destruction. I don't think that's anyone's actual theory, but it may as well be, as flat earthers have a right range of views as to how this planet actually is, as opposed to what we're told. I mean, how can it be round when we're not bouncing all over the universe or being endlessly chased by a mega galactic dog? I've always liked the notion that Antarctica is actually a cold rim around the ends of the planet and that NASA have people guarding it to stop anyone falling off the edge. I mean, when the world is on fire like it is now, who wouldn't want to believe that in between taking photos of black holes and furthering humanity's exploration of the stars, NASA have to keep sending unfortunate individuals to freeze their bottoms off watching penguins regularly plummet to their deaths? But, hey, as much as I might find it a fun imagination workout, Flat Earth Theory has actually grown in popularity in this internet era of fake news, as believers have been able to connect from, yes, all around the world. Why is that concerning on a political level? Well, as this week's guest points out, understanding how someone may ignore all signs and reason to believe that we're all skating around on a space frisbee helps to understand how people believe Trump when he say says he'll drain the swamp, or Farage when he says people should be part of his fight back against the elites, despite his obvious eliteness and gobshitery, or Trump's overall inherent swampy disposition. 
I didn't think there was going to be an interview on this week's show, and then I received a DM from former podcast expert truth seeker, investigator, sceptic, and generally lovely man, Michael Marshall, who said that he'd been investigating flat earthers and would I be interested in chatting to him about it for the show? Well, yes, of course, as Michael, creator of Bad PR, the Good Thinking Society, and the Merseyside Skeptic Society, always has a good, thoughtful, and open minded approach to the stories he chooses to look at. And as he pointed out to me, the popularity growth of flat earthers is about a lot more than just silly theories, but also online radicalization and disillusionment with society. Society. Michael was last on the show back in episode 44 when we discussed how to deal with fake news and the need for critical thinking and it's always a bloody pleasure chatting to him. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here's Michael. Flat Earth Theory's been around for a long time, hasn't it? Since like the Middle Ages and Greek time. I mean, times when people didn't have any science to check these things. But it's made a real resurgence in today's day. I mean, how big is it? Are people genuinely believing that we're living on a disc or whatever sort of uh, imaginative view they have? Yeah, so um, I I think it's uh, certainly got a lot larger. So I've been sort of following the Flat Earth movement since about 2013 when I first came across uh, the Flat Earth Society, which at the time was a fairly niche forum uh, where people were just sort of sharing their proofs of the Flat Earth and having uh, sort of back and forth arguments. And it was actually a fairly complicated and sophisticated level of conversation that was going on at the time. And I think partly that's because there was a a bit of a schism in the Flat Earth uh, world, or a couple of schisms, but one was the, the, the users of the forum were sort of split between people who genuinely did believe the world was flat and then another group of people who knew it wasn't flat but just enjoyed the intellectual pursuit of arguing a position they knew to be false to see how far they can go with that, how convincing they can be, how esoteric they can find these kind of proofs. But the problem is that second group were really effective and they really convinced the first group even further. So I think there was kind of a growth effect there. Um, but but it was still fairly niche. And I've been giving talks about, you know, various pseudosciences over the last kind of five, six years. And I'd always mention the flat earth at some point in uh, in some of my talks. And people would always say, well, that can't be genuinely real. No one had actually heard of it. Nobody thought that this was a genuine thing. They thought these were all just people mucking about. Um, but they were, they, and I think there was a split between people who did genuinely believe it and uh, others who were just mucking about. Um, but nowadays, the stuff we see, and it's since about sort of 2015, 2016, um, I think that that, uh, that whole world has shifted very heavily towards people who do genuinely believe it. I don't think there's many people just mucking about in it these days. Um, and it's got a lot bigger as a result of that, I think, because I think the arguments they're using are a lot less sophisticated because they're not looking for the most kind of off-the-wall esoteric proof. They're looking for, quote-unquote, common-sense arguments to prove the world is flat, and that's what's going around in YouTube videos and you know, e-books and blogs and all of the social media, the sort of the, the very, very basic look-at-the-horizon-it-looks-level, therefore-the-world-must-be-flat kind of stuff. And that's what's convincing a surprising number of people. I think thousands of people around the world at this point, uh, or certainly in the last kind of six months, it'd be sort of in the thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people. Uh, I mean, you just said a common sense argument is, you know, the, the horizon looks flat, therefore it's flat. Is that, I mean, that's the level of kind of debate that it that it's at? That's what's convincing people that it's, the earth is is not round? I mean, what, you know, I, 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 it's very hard, I think, and, and probably I'm sure the listeners kind of agree that if, you know, you've been brought up with science and sort of a general understanding mm. of how the universe works, it's very hard to kind of uh, get into the mindset of why you might genuinely believe such a big 
uh, yeah. different idea, I suppose. Well, there's a, there's a few different reasons, a few different sort of ways in which people get in, uh, I think. And uh, a lot of it is kind of, um, they, they miss, the, they're taught to, to doubt stuff anyway. So most of the people that I think who end up in Flat Earth uh, now start off as conspiracy theorists of a different stripe. And they might be looking up moon landing type stuff and they've seen some stuff that's in popular culture. And I think a lot more people would uh, wrongly, <laughs> think, uh, wrongly profess an idea that the moon landing was fake than the Flat Earth. So it's the moon landing one is a much more present in popular culture uh, idea, even though it's just as false as the idea that the world is flat. But I think people start there and once they're taught to um, accept flimsy justifications for throwing away the conventional narrative, once that becomes an embedded uh, pattern of thought, uh, they take that on into, uh, into looking at the flat earth. So the arguments around the flat earth they're not actually that sophisticated. Some of them are more sophisticated than the, the horizon being level. Uh, so, but it's often it's the horizon's flat, that water can't bend around a sphere, so how can water stick to a ball? Uh, that if, uh, if aeroplanes were flying around a, a curved sphere, uh, periodically aer- the pilots would have to sort of point their noses down a little bit towards the ground, otherwise they'd fly straight off into space. Um, that's genuinely the, the, many of the arguments. I mean, it, there's a, a couple of very influential YouTube uh, videos that really did kickstart the movement in the last five years one is by eric dubay who wrote uh, an ebook and did a youtube series called uh, 200 proof the earth is not a spinning ball and when you see a lot of the sort of flat earth posters and things they say research flat earth uh, google 200 proofs and they're referring to eric dubay's work so between him and a chap called mark Sargent, who produced a series of uh, videos called flat earth clues in 2015 uh, these are the ones that many people uh, are, are following and these ones that kind of persuade people and if you look at eric dubay's uh, 200 proofs they sort of fall into several different camps and some of them are just pure observations so the world you know the, the horizon looks flat and if you stand on the shores of lake michigan and look across the water you can see see the Chicago skyline and yet Chicago is 56 miles away and the curvature should dictate that after six miles things start to disappear beyond the horizon so how can you see something 56 miles away when it should be behind you know meters and feet and uh, of and yards of uh, curved earth by that point uh, you shouldn't be able to see it the fact you can still see it proves that the world is flat and they're just missing that what's happening is light is refracting uh, in very much the same way that if you look at something through a glass of water and you look towards the curved edges of the water, you see things in a slightly more, uh, a slightly different way. You see further around the glass than you actually should because light bends when it hits, uh, sort of hits certain conditions and it's bending around the curved earth at that point. But that's not, to, to understand that that's what's happening, you have to understand the complexities of a ball model. So I think those are many of the arguments. Many of the other arguments end up being about evangelical Christianity, which is a surprise part of the flat earth movement it's biblical literalism it's creationism dinosaurs didn't exist the world is six thousand years old and there is a roof on top of the world as given to us as uh, explained to us in the bible these are genuinely parts of the uh, flat earth argument but part of the problem, I think, is that people come across this and they have grown up in a world in, in you know, conventional science, uh, the, the, which is you know, what the world actually is. But you grow up, uh, some people grow up just uh, hearing and accepting the, the story without really internalising it and understanding it. And so often people will come into a flat earth conversation assuming that they can explain why the world is round, having never thought about why they know the world is round before, having never scrutinised the the evidence of the world being round, to then internalise it. And what happens is you come across someone, you assume you can out-argue these people, um, but they've spent way more time thinking about the shape of the world than you ever have. 
And so people come up, up against arguments they've never considered before. And in that moment, they can't debunk that argument and some people therefore accept it. Um, so people come to, the flat, well, to a flat earther and say, well, what about the photos of the earth from space? That's proof that the earth is round. And then a flat earther will say, yeah, but if you look at those photos, even NASA admit they're all composites and NASA admit that they Photoshop them. So NASA admitting they're faking it. And some people will hear that and not have a good answer and think, well, yeah, but they're Photoshopping multiple pictures of the world together. And if it's a composite image, what is it a composite of, if not photos of the Earth's surface? So you're still admitting <laughs> that it's an Earth's surface. So people won't see through that. And I think that's ended up persuading a lot of people to uh, to doubt uh, the, the spherical model. And I think there's also an element that people love the idea of having access to a secret bit of knowledge, to a thing that the rest of the world doesn't accept. It's a slightly sexy kind of secret that uh, there's this big conspiracy holding everything uh, behind the veil uh, and that the rest of the world have bought into it, but they alone are able to see through it. I think that's quite... Um quite a, an alluring position for people to take yeah i, I mean i don't sort of didn't you know just be that i love the imagination of it i mean i just think it's really exciting like what a lovely idea that the world is sort of like a giant snow globe or you know i think it's really this sort of reminds me of like terry pratchett <laughs> books or you know all the uh the kind of Discworld stories and 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 um you know and in a world where things are so chaotic and upsetting it's quite fun to have an imaginative uh, idea but obviously these people take it very seriously is it that sort of um you know i suppose the confidence slogans that for example trump had that drained the swamp and then he never did and all these sort of things just being able to say very simple kind of uh theories or very simple promises very loudly and is that sort of that sort mm. of pushes through yeah I, I think that's definitely it and when you come to you know you say that it's a it's a lovely imaginative idea i, I totally agree and my favorite thing about uh, the flat earth and this is something that i originally found in, in 2013 when i was talking to the vice president of the, the flat earth society um was that you might have in your head a model of what you think flat earthers think the world looks like and, you know, and it might be, as many of them do believe, that you've got the Arctic Circle in the middle and you've, as if you've sort of taken a, a globe version of the Earth and you looked at the Arctic Circle from on top and then you've split the world out and just sort of pulled it out so Antarctica is around the edge. And so some people do see it like that, with Arctic Circle in the middle, Antarctic all around the edge and it's a disc. Um, and they think of it as a very discrete disc and therefore you've got like a, either a wall of ice or something around the edge or some people put a dome that holds us in. Um, but that's not the only model of the world. And there's one model of the world that I really love which is you've got the Arctic Circle in the middle and you've got all those kind of continents all spread out around it. And yes, you've got Antarctic, which is ice. But instead of it being a discrete disc with a wall of ice, instead the ice just goes on forever and that the world is in fact an infinite plane in all directions that bisects reality. And that is my favourite idea about, uh, wow. about the, the universe. It just goes on, there's above, there's below, but there's just no way of getting from one from the other because it's just ice forever. And when you talk to people who hold that kind of infinite plane version in their mind, they would then start to reason that, you know, it's ice forever and then inside of that is water and inside of it is land and we're on that land. So we're basically in a puddle in the middle of the ice. And if we're in a puddle on the middle of the ice, uh, what's to say that a bit further over on the ice, there isn't another puddle with more land and then beings on that land. And maybe that's where aliens come from. <laughs> and so if you have someone who already has a belief in aliens and they come across flat earth theory uh, and if you, you know, you couldn't accept the dawn theory and still accept aliens, because how do the aliens get in through the dome? So you've got to find another way of making that work. And so you incorporate your aliens into the flat Earth model, and now you have a model that allows for both. And I think we see that an awful lot, is that the flat Earth theory, when you come across a conspiracy theory, um, it, that might conflict with your, uh, your flat Earth belief. You just incorporate it into your flat Earth belief, and you have this kind of increasingly 
um, increasingly elaborate uh, belief system. And I, I spoke to a prominent flat earther who was explaining that he could never understand why all these conspiracy theories were true. But then he realised the reason that Pre- President Kennedy was killed by the US government was because he knew we could never get to the moon because we're under a dome and the moon doesn't exist because the world is flat and you can't get to the moon because you can't leave the flat earth in that reason. So all, so it's like the Rosetta Stone of conspiracy theories for that particular chap. Um, and we do see that a lot. And I think in a way that's kind of testament to the fact that it, it is that simple narrative, it is that uh, unifying idea and it's that uh, making sense of chaos. And I think we see that a lot with conspiracy theory generally. generally you know, it's... um. It's quite a, a scary thing to uh, accept that if you look at Princess Diana, that she could just die in a car crash. That's a very mundane thing to happen to one of the most iconic people in the world. Or that um, the Twin Towers could have been taken down by you know a, a dozen or a dozen or two dozen uh, people who were absolutely fanatical and then found a way to uh found a loophole in a security system to do something that pretty much nobody saw coming nobody thought was even possible that's terrifying to think that the world can be so chaotic and things can happen uh so out of out of the blue in that kind of way that can be so uh cataclysmic and so uh so so tragic so it's actually weirdly more comforting to think that someone's in charge of all this and that these big things happen because they're being controlled and even if these big things are evil that means there's a plan and it's an evil plan but if there's an evil plan there are people putting that plan in place and we can rise up against them we can unite against those people we can fight it so it's it's it provides you with an enemy and a target and a kind of a unifying force that's a much more satisfying than having to just sort of oppose random chance and chaos theory and and all that kind of stuff it's easy it's a way i guess of kind of exerting control back over your life in a world where in a universe that doesn't particularly like you ha- having control of your life yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean uh you know game of thrones is ending soon we're gonna need something to replace it i could very much see that as a 10-part series um <laughs> you know it sounds amazing <laughs> but i mean and, and in fact I, i've got more serious questions to ask you in a second but the infinite plane thing how do they explain arctic explorers like ranulph fines or someone like that he's crossed the arctic circle is that a sort of you know i, I guess he just didn't really do it or he walked in a circle or there's this i mean i i've got a lot of questions like this that <laughs> could probably make this conversation last an hour but <laughs> but i guess they've always got a way around it yeah so the arctic circle isn't that bad because the arctic circle is the bit in the middle of the of the of the disc version of the earth the problem for them is antarctica because antarctica for you and i is like an arctic circle at the bottom but for them it's the wall of ice around the edge or it's the ice as you sort of head outwards so it becomes a real issue if the south pole in their mind doesn't exist they're effectively south pole deniers there's no just thing as a south pole for them so the way they get around it is they say uh, people like uh, Captain Bird, who was one of the first uh, BYRD, he was one of the first uh, real un- Antarctic explorers. Uh, he said there was all this landmass bigger than America at the Arctic, uh, at the Antarctic uh, sort of point past the past the South Pole. And yet he went there for a bit and then he turned around and he never went back again. And then you've got the Antarctic Treaty that says people can't just go there and explore and that no one owns the uh, Antarctica kind of area, no, no one, no, uh, no nation state can claim uh, ownership of that land at any point and why why would that be and why would all the nations agree not to explore there it's because they know there's no such thing as an antarctica with the south pole it's a wall of ice around the edge so it's all just a big conspiracy to keep you away from it if you listen to their version of it and they put an awful lot of uh, time and effort into into that really um and they put a lot of time and effort into fleshing out their worldview. And they certainly did, I think, in, in 2013 when it was a lot more complex so if you look at a ball model for example 
the way we understand gravity working is you need the mass of a big sphere with a lot of kind of uh, a lot of weight there in order to pull it, have enough of an attractive force to pull us down. So if you believe that the world is actually a disc or an infinite plane in all directions that bisects reality, you don't have the mass to accommodate for gravity. So it becomes very difficult to explain how gravity works. And so flat earthers in 2013 would get around this by saying, what is gravity? Well, if you let go of something, that object accelerates towards the ground at about 9.8 metres per second squared. So every second it gets 9.8 metres per second quicker. And then it accelerates until the ground stops accelerating. But they would say that's indistinguishable from a world where if you let go of something, the world comes up to meet that object. So it doesn't, the object doesn't fall. It's just that the ground is coming upwards. And the second you let go, there's nothing to stop that object going upwards with the ground. So they would argue in 2013, they were arguing that the world is an infinite plane in all directions that bisects reality and is accelerating upwards at 9.8 metres per second squared and has been since the dawn of time. And then you would say, if you're accelerating forever, you hit a, a problem, you're going to go faster than the speed of light. That's not possible. All of physics says speed of light is the natural speed limit of the universe. You can't exceed that. So you can't be accelerating forever because eventually you'd go faster than the speed of light. But the flat earthers in 2013 would say, well, that's not necessarily true because, yes, speed of light is the speed limit of the universe. But if you look at Einstein's theory of relativity, it shows that as you approach light speed, time starts to slow down in a dilating effect. So we're still getting quicker. Time is slowing down. The maths works back out again. So they were working pretty hard and being quite... And I think this is testament to the fact that flat earth, world, flat earth theory in 2013 was still inhabited by some people who knew physics pretty well and were just mucking about and trying to find ways of disproving the conventional view, even though they didn't necessarily believe it. But cut forward to 2015, 2016, you know, 2017, when I was having conversations with flat earthers at that point, yes, gravity would still be a problem, but they, they wouldn't go with the Einstein's theory of relativity acceler accelerating upwards thing. They would say, well, the reason that you are attracted to the floor is just density. You know, if you put, uh, uh, if you have a, uh, a light liquid and you put a heavy liquid into it, the heavy liquid sinks to the bottom because it's denser. And the reason you sink to the ground rather than float through the air is because you are denser than air. And that's as far as they'd go with their theory. Now, that's all well and good. But what they miss is the reason dense things sink to the ground is because of gravity. It's still just an action <laughs> of gravity. You just pushed it one step further. But they uh, haven't gone through that extra step anymore because I think the, the flat earth theory has got a lot less complex, a lot less sophisticated, um, which I think in a way is why one of the reasons it got a lot more prominent because you no longer have to understand Einstein's theory, theory of relativity to be able to account for gravity. You can just accept density and move on. So I think we're actually, it's, we've seen the arguments devolve but become way more successful because they're much more about rhetoric and, uh, and selling an idea and sophistry than they are about substance and evidence. I mean, yeah, it's, that's incredible. And, and I think, yeah, the 2013 theories i have to say are that you know as much as i would consider flat earth theory to be stupid that is the most clever way of being stupid i've heard um but mm. i i mean this brings us to a kind of more prevalent issue i think because uh, flat earth as you said it's obviously getting bigger and it's getting um more more kind of uh fans i don't know what you'd call it more believers um but mm. it's kind of part of the bigger issue that we're in a world at the moment where people are believing a lot of really bizarre quite odd conspiracy theories they're believing things despite evidence despite facts um and that's across the kind of political um sphere as well as sphere is probably the wrong word to use in this chat um, you know <laughs> and, and kind of the science sphere um you know it, 
sort of flat Earth in itself, I suppose it's not that dangerous for people to. to is it? Is it that bad for people to just believe in that bit? Is, is the bigger problem this general way of thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think flat Earth itself is, is a symptom of a malaise rather than the disease its actual self. So I think um, I don't think it's particularly harmful. Um, but when I, I attended the flat Earth convention in uh, Birmingham last year, there were 160 people there. It was three days of speakers who were all talking about why the world is flat, and, and it's one of the, one of the greatest one weekends. Did people come to that from all around the world? Because if so, that's already... <laughs> so they did. And actually, my favourite thing about that, there was a speaker there called uh, Iru Landucci, who's an Argentinian uh, YouTuber who does a lot of conspiracy theory stuff, a lot of New World Order type stuff. Um, a lot of Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is an anti-Semitic hoax from the 19th or 18th century, which is was d- deliberately invented in order to stalk anti-Semitism. So there's a darkness in there. Um, but he came to the conference from uh, Argentina, and when he was introduced by the MC the organiser, he pointed out that uh, that Iru actually landed 24 hours earlier than anyone was expecting. And they were all expecting him to come on the Thursday and he came on the Wednesday. And it was all this big kind of mix-up. And I thought to myself, is this the kind of problem that occurs all the time when your worldview can't account for the international dateline? <laughs> Does this kind of mix-up happen all the time? Um, but yeah, so people did come from uh, from far and wide uh, to, uh, to to get to it. And I think uh, and it was, you know, one of the greatest weekends I've ever spent. I genuinely really loved it. It was a fascinating weekend to, to spend uh, time in that community. Um, but what I found was that it wasn't just about the Flat Earth. So one of the speakers would get up and, yes, they talk a bit about the Flat Earth, but they would also talk about how there is a secret society ruling the world and those secret society may or may not be Jewish. And we come back to this kind of uh, anti-Semitic uh, trope that we've seen more and more, not just rising in uh, in the last kind of few years, but also throughout history. We have this kind of uh, ugly side of... Uh, of of, uh, of race relations and, and this re-emerges in the flat earth and that's already uh, bad enough then we see um people who just by definition mistrust all authority all government all official stories so 9-11 had to be an inside job that's just obvious to these people you know the moon landing was obviously hoaxed and part of the reason we know it was hoaxed is because the government keeps telling us that it wasn't hoaxed so this rejection of the official narrative i think we see a lot um, there were speakers there who, as well as talking about the flat earth, they also believe uh, in many different things, including that they can cure cancer by uh, by this particular alternative medicine or that particular alternative medicine. People are encouraging you to drink your own urine in order to cure AIDS and reverse ageing. And these things are all the same bedfellows, I think, because they share the same core values, core identity places. I think uh, they, they come from the same uh, same direction and they're influenced by the same kind of uh, influences, I think. And I think a big part of it is that people from the outside, people who wouldn't go to that convention, people who haven't sort of really un- tried to understand what's going on with something like the Flat Earth, it's easy to see that these people are getting convinced into this position by evidence. And it's poor evidence or it's kind of biased evidence, but it's evidence that gets them there. And I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think what, what gets people into this belief and, and therefore uh, other beliefs that are occupying a similar space is a value system first and foremost. It's identity stuff. It's, it's value stuff. It's, uh, it's not about uh, evidence or, or rejection of science or gullibility or anything like that. It's about what information and what positions uh, fit with how I already view the world. So if I'm someone who already, by definition, rejects anything the government want me to believe, and then someone comes along and says, have you ever noticed that the government expects you to believe that the world is round? Then I'm going to be more primed to accept that the world, or to, to believe that the world isn't round, because it already fits with that kind of belief. If I think that there is... Um, 
a shadowy force behind all the the major influences in the world, the major uh, events in the world. And someone points out that that shadowy force is also hiding the truth about uh, the, the shape of the world from me then because that already fits an existing value set, an existing identity that I have, I'm more likely to accept it. So I think with the Flat Earth, we see um, arguably the most uh, ludicrous example from, from the outside uh, of that that value system playing out. And I think that's kind of why it's important to study these uh, extreme and fringe beliefs is because it allows us to understand what influences people into a particular belief system anyway. And it allows us to understand that without the danger of that belief system being right and to, to sort of contaminate the uh, the experiment or contaminate the, the investigation. We know com- comprehensively and categorically the world isn't flat. So understanding people who believe the world is flat helps us understand what gets people to extreme beliefs. But that system of extreme beliefs, that uh, that radicalization of these extreme beliefs, the process ex- is exactly the same to get people to other positions, like anti-vaccination positions. And I think you talk to parents in the the, the flat Earth convention that I that I was at, and I I don't believe they were vaccinating their kids, you know. And I and I said that to one of the journalists who was there. Is that like, you can see you can walk around thinking this is all fun and games and all silly. But go and ask those parents if they're vaccinating their kids. Go and ask those parents if something serious was to happen to their child tomorrow, who would they go and see about it? Would they go and see uh, a doctor and have some of that big pharma medicine that they've been so denigrating all, all weekend? Or would they go elsewhere? And what would the potential ramifications of that be? Um, so I think there is a, a harmful element to this. And I think in part, it's the bedfellows that, it, that this idea um, puts you in with, because Yes, you'll believe the world is flat, but you also believe that Jewish people are in control of the world and are manipulating it to their own ends. And that's an incredibly dark belief that can lead to some very dangerous positions. Uh, anyway, you believe that vaccines are, are evil and that big farmer are just trying to push these on you because they're trying to make money. And that leads to very extreme uh, positions and uh, a lot of danger. And we see a rise of, uh, of um, childhood preventable diseases happening again. Um, and you, you see kind of this same belief structure supporting other extreme beliefs. I think that part of the reason that people end up in flat earth the structure that gets them there is a mirror of the structure that gets people to white supremacist beliefs to anti-feminist beliefs to all those kind of extreme positions there's a radicalization going on and this is kind of the the safest of those radicalizations but even this has it spills into some pretty unsafe positions millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we'll be back with Michael in a minute, but first... Elections over here, elections over there, there seems to be elections everywhere. What could be more exciting than a local election? Thousands, nay, sorry, hundreds of people and the occasional dog begrudgingly voting for their local council which won't have any money regardless of who's in charge and waiting for the results to be very, very slowly counted by Vera from the chip shop who'll probably take at least three days to do it because when you get into double digits, oh, it gets so confusing. Yeah, fun, fun, fun. Except this last lot of local elections last week have happened in amongst the endless civil bore that is Brexit. Meaning that, well, meaning is everywhere. Who votes for what doesn't just mean they voted for that what, but also the Brexit what that they or their party might stand for. In a nutshell, the general read of last week's results of the Conservatives doing so bad that it's almost an achievement, Labour really not doing as well as they should have, UKIP almost disappearing, but sort of not really, and Remain parties like the Lib Dems and the Greens, as well as independent candidates doing very well, is that it highlights a pro-Remain British public who are sick of Brexit. But is it that simple? Yes. Bye! No, I'm kidding. Of course not. Nothing is simple anymore. Well, except for the seat in North Allerton South, which was a dead heat and so decided by the returning officer choosing between two blank envelopes, each containing a candidate's name and leading to a Labour win. Democracy 2019, ladies and gentlemen, where your councillor could have ended up being the film La La Land. So, did this local election show that the UK has changed its mind on Brexit? Well, the Conservatives did particularly badly in their heartlands, yes, if they have a heart, in the South, losing councils in Basildon, Southend-on-Sea, St Albans and Bath and North East Somerset. Word on the street, especially in areas like the latter, was that in middle-class and student-heavy areas, councils were being told that they couldn't be trusted anymore because of Brexit. I mean, really? Is that what it took? Not trusting the Tories because of Brexit, that's all? That's like saying you were fine with Idi Amin until he started giving himself ludicrously long, overly grand self-titles. But that doesn't mean that those people have lost trust in the Conservatives because they're going ahead with Brexit, just the way they're handling Brexit overall. And the Conservatives did very badly in leave voting areas as well, with seats in areas like Chelmsford, 52.8% leave, now going to the Lib Dems and independents. So anti-Brexit or just anti-the Prime Minister endlessly trying to advocate a deal no one wants again and again, meaning that this election loss could well be a political repetitive strain injury. Labour did badly too, not as badly as the Conservatives, despite some outlets suggesting that losing over 1,300 seats is the same as losing 307. Though I guess if they're all minus numbers, then they're equally less than zero. Right? Right? I mean, I have no clue about maths. I'm just hoping someone had a reason for typing such bollocks. Still, with everyone turning against the Conservatives, what should have been happening in normal times was that everyone then turned to the opposition instead. But they didn't. They just sort of kept turning like on a very dreary wheel of fortune and opted for the other prizes. Labour lost seats in both strong leave areas and strong remain areas, just maybe showing that their sitting on the fence stance is mostly giving them butt splinters and not really anything else. But the Lib Dems, who adamantly remained, did very well, right? Well, yeah, but then they also did really badly in the 2015 elections after the whole coalition fracas, and so, when both main parties are rejected, they're like the natural go-to in this election. You know, like that friend that you call when all your other friends are being dicks, but only when you're hanging out with that friend do you think, oh, wait, maybe I'd have been happier by myself. 
Lib Dems have always been known for their skills at local level, but whether or not this would translate to a national one remains to be seen. But it does look like an overall comeback of them being a party, rather than just an afterthought when you realise that there were some other people in the Commons, but you couldn't quite remember where you'd seen them before. Yes, it's likely the Lib Dems remain stance helped in some areas, but they mostly did best where they were the local opposition, particularly when they were second to the Conservatives, where they gained 15 points on average in such areas, leading to loads of seats and councils. Basically, everyone else being shit, looks like it's helped out old Vinnie Cable and chucked some life back into the party that previously looked like its machine was about to be turned off. The real interesting one is that the Greens did well all over the place, from very middle class to working class areas, Remain and Leave voting ones, which the party had put down mostly to the highlighting of the climate emergency and Extinction Rebellion's protests over Easter. If the main parties hadn't been popping up on telly to get all sad about a few transport delays and had instead confidently said they'd save the planet, then it might have saved them some votes. Although knowing Theresa May, the way she'd have done that would have been doing very little except get her hair done in dreadlocks before trying to dance to We Are The World, We Are The Children, leading to an even bigger defeat than before. Independent candidates gained lots too, now holding 1,199 seats across 248 councils, which is a lot, but then they all have a variety of stances on Brexit and, more than anything, mostly campaign on local issues, so voting for them is probably just a retaliation against big party politics overall and the fact that the Conservatives keep bleeding local government dry and expect councils to fund everything using council tax and by selling off everything so that they can have stuff that they'll then probably have to sell off in order so they can have more stuff that they'll then probably have to sell off in order so they can have more stuff. Oh, and UKIP did badly, but still have 31 seats across England, because it turns out some people really do hate the areas they live in that much. So, was this all another say on Brexit? Is the UK all remaining now, or is it hard leave? No, uh, no, to any of those. Maybe, maybe not, who knows. There are 408 councils in the UK, and only 248 were voted on last week, and by, this isn't yet official, supposedly only 34% turnout overall. Seats were lost by Labour and the Tories to both remain and leave candidates in different areas, and it's also worth noting that Change UK and the Brexit Party, aka 2KIP The Return, weren't running. While the former probably wouldn't have made any difference as if they can't even work out their own name, how will voters, but the latter may well have soaked up more pro-leave votes and brought voters out who would have abstained otherwise as they live and breathe Brexit, and as a result probably have respiration problems. What it does show is that people ain't happy with the big guns no more, that May has successfully united the country and everyone thinking she's total shit, and that rumours of a compromise between Labour and the Conservatives on a deal probably won't really help either of them in the future. If anything, it'll probably make things even worse for Labour. Should Labour then back a second referendum? No idea. But look, feel free to make things up based on what makes you feel better. You want that result to mean the country is now all for Remain? You go for it. That it means the government should get on with being shit, just even shitter? Yeah, you go nuts. That actually everyone was just voting because what about the bins? Fine, you have that head party. That secretly it was all a big vote to say that what everyone really wants is for plastic beer cups to not be shit, everyone to get a pet wombat and for £1 coins to be made of waffles? Well, also that. You have that as well. Fact is, in three weeks' time, it'll be the EU elections and we'll all get to have another go at guessing anyway. In the meantime, let's all rejoice in the Conservatives losing more seats and a kid playing musical chairs against David Copperfield and let's let Labour think about what on earth they're doing and the Lib Dems enjoy being popular again for at least five minutes until Vince Cable steps down as leader and they replace him with a roll of beige shag carpet and everyone forgets who they are again. And now, back to Michael. I mean, it's, it's sort of fascinating that 
sort of listening to you talk about it like that for, for example just to kind of uh, everything comes around to Brexit on this podcast I do apologise but yes, for example yeah. sort of looking at like Farage and the Brexit party he's got no policies but it's simply that mm-hmm. the elite are against you and we've got to take down the elite and the government are lying to you and you know it's all that just uh, telling you that everything you're hearing from the kind of mainstream media is wrong and therefore you have to listen to him for the truth even though he hasn't really got anything to tell you and I mean you sort of mentioned that Flat Earth has kind of come from YouTube radicalization um and and that's obviously there's a lot of quite dangerous um quite dangerous ideas on youtube at the moment but it, it must then kind of be um what's the word uh exaggerated by media and headlines and you know I, I feel like what the tabloids say must all kind of feed into this way of thinking and how do you know where do you start with that is is sort of tackling youtube the way to begin is kind of you know uh cutting down social media i know like you know putting limits on facebook and things is something that's constantly being discussed how do, how do you begin to deal with that yeah so i think youtube has a massive massive role to, to play here there was a study from the american academy of sciences that was presented at their, their recent convention uh where they uh interviewed people at the american flat earth convention to ask them how do they first come to uh the flat earth belief and of the 40 people they spoke to 39 of them said it was youtube that got them in there and the 40th wow. person was the father of someone else at the convention who got into it via YouTube and they got their dad into it. So YouTube has a huge role. And I understand why that role is. And if you look at the sort of the forces that are, that are playing here, um, a lot of these people would have been looking at something like uh, moon landing stuff. And before that, they might have been looking at stuff that wasn't even conspiratorial in nature. But then you get your recommendation algorithm through YouTube. And so if you start with something, you end up watching a moon landing video uh, and then it's it's seen that there is a connection between moon landing uh, deniers and uh, flat earthers. So it will recommend to you a flat earth video. And if you just leave it auto playing or if you click something in that recommendations and you happen to click on one of the ones that's flat earth, YouTube says, huh, this makes that re- relationship between moon landing videos and flat earth even stronger. So I'll recommend it even more next time because this seems to keep people watching YouTube. And once you click the Flat Earth one, YouTube goes, huh, Tiernan clearly likes watching Flat Earth videos. Let's serve him another Flat Earth video that's maybe a bit longer because we want to keep him on YouTube because that's the entire business model of YouTube is keep you watching YouTube for, for longer videos, staying, uh, staying on the page as long as possible, watching as much stuff as possible, keeping engaged. So once you've had a couple of those, it now thinks, right, Tiernan is pretty much a Flat Earther at this point. So he really likes that stuff. So we'll just keep serving him stuff that's in that area and stuff that we think is related to Flat Earth. When the reason you became a flat earther in terms of what you were watching wasn't because you had a passionate belief that the world is flat, but because you started being served content that put that nudged you in that direction that suggested it. And now it's all you get. And we see this in lots of places with YouTube that you start off with one position. And before you know it, YouTube is recommending the very antithesis of that position at times because it just assumes that this is related. And you see it with, for example, uh, I did an experiment for, uh, for a podcast that I do. Uh, where I put in the term gender pay gap because, you know, that issues around uh, uh, gender equality are hugely polarised, particularly on YouTube. If you put the term gender pay gap into YouTube, you'd expect to see some information about the gender pay gap. But of the top 20 videos that were returned, I think the third or the fourth one explained that there was a gender pay gap and here's what people think it is. But the first two were just shitting on feminists, basically. It was like feminist fail about the gender pay gap, why the gender pay gap is a myth. And then of the next 20, it was only the 18th and 19th that were pro-gender pay gap existing. And everything in between was either the gender pay gap is a myth or feminism is cancer or uh, liberals are actually racist. And it's not conservatives that are, that are racist, but liberals that are racist, which has got nothing to do with the gender pay gap. But 
was served by YouTube before the second video promoting the gender pay gap as an idea that actually exists. So you have a biased, uh, a biased sort of search result anyway in YouTube. And partly I think that's because there is a sensationalism aspect. YouTube thrives on engagement and sensational content and controversial content is more engaging. And I think it, it reminds me a little bit of um, when when Google was really starting to take uh, was starting to develop as a search engine and really starting to excel. Um, you used to get people who try and hack your Google search results uh, so they'd get their their website higher. And they do that by you know stuffing keywords at the bottom of the page. So Google would look for content about Disney, and if you mentioned Disney enough times in the keywords at the bottom of your page, your page not about Disney would appear. So Google said, "Well, we'll stop doing that because if you're searching for Disney and you're getting this irrelevant content, we are a bad search engine." So they'll prioritize other stuff, and then people figured out a way of gaming that system and getting up. And so Google would say, "Okay, people are gaming the system and uh, taking advantage of our latest metrics, so we'll scrap that one and find something else because we need to stay." Uh, a search engine that returns relevant results because a search engine that is returning irrelevant results is a bad search engine. And so you had this constant battle between white hat SEO, which is trying to sort of fix the system to uh, to prevent all these kind of exploits, and, and black hat search engine op- optimization, which are people who are trying to exploit these uh, these hacks and exploit these uh, the latest developments. But that worked and is got a lot better with Google because Google, as a, a marketing strategy, as a as a, a commercial priority, needs to return relevant results. Otherwise, they're a crap search engine. Now, what is YouTube? It's not about serving you uh, relevant, accurate results. It's in, it's an entertainment engine. It's an, uh, an engagement engine. So if you search for feminist content and it returns to you the thing that most people who put in, uh, who are looking for feminist content uh, find that they watch the most, well, that includes the people who like it, the people who hate watch it, the people who review it, this stuff kind of gets uh, promoted. And so anything that keeps you watching YouTube is a success for YouTube as an entertainment engine that sells ads based on the amount of time that you're on there, that kind of thing. And I think that's one of the, the reasons that flat earth material has really flourished is because there's a, a flat earth ecosystem of people creating an awful lot of content and sharing that content amongst themselves. And that kind of gives a little bit of a, a push. And then because it's ridiculous, people will watch it. So that gives it a little bit of a push. And because it's got a, a tangential uh, relationship to other conspiracy theories, YouTube tentatively puts it out there and says, does this one fit? And people will then end up watching it. And you end up with accidentally, really, I'd imagine, I suspect, creating this radicalization engine to a much more extreme position and pushing something that's kind of clearly false. Now, I, I'm a little pessimistic about this, unfortunately, because Google had a commercial incentive to fix this problem. YouTube does not have a commercial incentive to fix this problem. And I don't know what you can impose on YouTube as a, uh, an international, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the term for watching videos online. So I don't know how you can impose uh, a structure on it that would, uh, would prioritise fixing this issue. So I don't know how fixable that is. So you can't fix it or I can't uh, hold out hope that we'll fix it at a strategic level or at a, at a source level in terms of the, the platform. So you have got to think about what can we do to try and reach people who believe this stuff. And I think with the Flat Earth, it's actually it's getting better. Partly, I think, because it went from being very small. It exploded in 2015, 2016 and onwards when those kind of influential videos started being uh, being released. It got, in, I think, into the tens of thousands of, uh, of followers. But then it got so big that it got too much attention that people who otherwise wouldn't care about it started looking at it and going, hang on, this is total bollocks. And then enough of those kind of t- the reasons why it's total bollocks have got out there. So I, th- I don't think there's people coming to the, the flat earth idea afresh. I think we're starting to see that bubble uh, deflate. Um, but when it comes to people who are, who are sincerely 
following these ideas, we've got to think about how we can sort of de-radicalise them to a degree. And I think part of that is to understand what value system got them there, because they didn't get there on the evidence, they got there on the values. And when you talk about Farage, it's exactly the same, I think, is that Farage isn't speaking to, here's this particular policy, here's a piece of evidence, here's uh, th- this point that I'm making is backed up by all this proof. He's speaking to people's uh, values, he's speaking to their emotions, he's, sp- he's using rhetoric to, to make arguments that don't logically make sense. Uh, and don't logically hold or, or comport with reality, but they hit people right in their in, in their value system. So if your values are that um, I feel like everything around here has been getting shitter, uh, and uh, my my life isn't progressing or or, uh, or improving, I'm I'm not seeing the benefits uh, that other parts of society are. Um, if someone who is an elite like Farage can come along and say, well, that's because of the elites and I'm the one who's saying that, so you must assume that I'm not one of those elites so I can point you that the bad guys are actually over there. He can manipulate that value set and point it in uh, in a direction that he wants. And I think he's kind of doing that. There's, there's authoritarians and uh, populists all over the world doing that. I think the way to reach flat earthers is to understand that their value is mistrusting. It might be mistrusting authority. And so to saying to people, look, I mistrust authority. I don't always trust authority. Here are five different ways that I think the government can't be trusted. But I can hold that position and at the same time accept that the world is round. So there's no incompatibility between the value set of distrust the government uh, implicitly and uh, ignore the, the realities of, uh, of the spherical world. You can actually you can accept the spherical world and mistrust the government and uh, have scepticism uh, about the information that's coming from, uh, from figures in the government. So I think you try and align around value set first uh, and then use that alignment to point out that there's not an incompatibility with uh, reality. And you can hold a different set of views and still have that uh, that value uh, in place. I mean, uh, one of the things so, that you've uh, made me understand why YouTube keeps trying to make me watch James Corden videos when I just want to watch Stephen <laughs> Colbert ones drives me nuts. They're not the same thing. Stop it. Um, it's not comedy. And um, but <laughs> but you, I mean, how do how do we go about doing this then? How do we go about showing people these? Uh, uh, you know, you, you don't have to have these uh that these ideas aren't compatible you know what's i mean if we're looking just to bring it back into the farage thing he's gonna Mm. keep getting tv time it's gonna keep having newspaper time between now and say the eu elections how do you kind of uh persuade people that you know to, to to do critical thinking about this Mm. Well, I, I mean, I, I wish I had the perfect answer to it because I could solve so many issues in the world right now and I don't have the perfect answer, but I do have some some suggestions kind of along the way. And I think part of that is to, to continue engaging with people, to talk to people that you uh, you disagree with. It's something I, I spend a lot of time doing is talking to people that I disagree with. Um, when it comes to the the types of ideas that I, uh, I research and investigate, they tend to be these extreme fringe uh, types of beliefs. Um, but what I say is it's important that when we when we come to these beliefs, we aren't mocking people who hold them because mocking them and shouting at them or writing them off is not going to uh, they're not going to be connecting with us on that regard. They're just going to write us off. So. You think of a belief like um, anti-vaccination, for example. The value system that, that parents who don't vaccinate have uh, is that uh, they want to protect their kids. So you can call these people child murderers, but that's not going to reach them. Or you can say, I know you want to protect your children, and I totally agree with that. But here's why not vaccinating your kids doesn't protect your children. So you try and reach out to them on what they value and what they find important and show that you actually understand that you've listened and you understand what they're, what they're trying to do. 
what their feeling is, what their value system is, and then show them how that value system can actually be uh, better served uh, with uh, with the version of reality that we we suspect to be true. I mean, obviously, I would only ever say that my opinions and my my views on reality are what I uh, are the the closest that I can get to truth, and that I could be wrong, and someone can prove me wrong. And if someone can prove me that the world is flat tomorrow in a way that's very convincing, then I should be willing to change my mind on that. Luckily, nothing's coming up so far that uh, that would do that. So I think, first of all, not writing people off and not assuming that they're they're evil because they hold views that you disagree with, I think is important, uh, even when some of the views they they, they hold can be evil. Um, I think people holding views that are that are uh, unconscionable uh, means that there's a, a, a disconnect here and we need to try and get these people back rather than write them off and ghettoize them. So I think that's that's kind of important. Um, and I think when it comes to people like Farage, uh, he is always going to have television time. Um, I think one of the things we can try and do is to point out how the value system that his followers have is not reflected in who he is that the words the words he's using the arguments he's using they're just rhetoric they're just sophistry there's no substance to them and that when Farage talks about how the elites and the political establishment have uh, betrayed the people you can point out and, and try and get people to understand that he is a career politician who came out of investment banking to become uh, a, a European politician for 20 years and never turns up to his job and he is the very definition of the establishment that's betraying the people who's not doing the job he was uh, sent there to, to do that he's shirking his responsibilities that he is uh, putting out arguments that are bad faith so trying to to use the value system that he's exploiting to reflect that back and point out that he's not compatible with that value system and that anything he's doing that seems compatible is just uh, is just misleading, is just deceit kind of thing. I think that's part of it. Um, but I think the other thing I, I point out is you can't do it in a single conversation. You can't do it in a tweet. It has to be something that's a bit more sustained. And people ask me a lot about how how do you talk people out of positions that you, uh, especially people you care about, out of positions that uh, you know to be false. And the analogy that I use is if you think about um, an asteroid impact and the Hollywood version of solving an asteroid that's heading towards the Earth is that you send up Bruce Willis and a team of miners to blow the asteroid up. And in reality, if you did that, what would happen is all those shards of asteroid would just rain down on the Earth with just as much fire and fury and it'd just cause complete devastation. And that's what happens when you come to someone and say, your ideas are completely wrong. Here's why you're full of shit. Here's why your ideas are evil. You hit them head on and there's this big explosion and there's just utter devastation and nothing really good comes of it because what you're doing is not going to lead them out of that issue. It's just going to cause a massive explosion. But the way that if you talk to astrophysicists who are now planning for what we do when there's an asteroid on collision course, they say is you spot that asteroid is on a collision course and then you send something up to hang around next to it with a certain amount of gravity, a certain amount of mass. And slowly over time, the gravitational pull of that other object will slowly alter the position, the, alter the path of that asteroid. And eventually, after enough uh, time, it will no longer be on a collision course. And that's how you argue people out of uh, positions that are, that are damaging or incorrect is you talk to them a little bit over time, you carry on being the person in their life that they love and respect, um, and you, you just carry on demonstrating that you, you are, uh, that you are a valuable person to that, uh, to that person, but asking little questions, giving little prompts, uh, keeping being su- supportive and connected, but just giving little kind of uh, challenges here and there. And eventually over time, you can have directed the, you can change the path that they're on and they may no longer be in a collision course, but it takes time um, and it's not easy. But it's really important. And if we don't do it and we do just keep shouting at people and and writing them off, I think we don't make a change. And uh, we cede all of that ground to 
people like Farage who are willing to use uh, dangerous rhetoric and invective in order to, to get their end. I think we have to sort of be invested in what is a, a good uh, strategy here and, and how we actually can, uh, can talk to people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I've also now very clear that uh, Armageddon would have been a very different film if they just fattened Bruce Willis up and sent him by himself to orbit <laughs> the asteroid uh, very slowly over a long period of time. Thanks tons to Michael for that unexpected and thoroughly fascinating chat. Um, you can, of course, find Michael at Mr. M. Marsh on Twitter. Uh, his blog is at badpr.co.uk. And you can check out live events and podcasts that he's involved in at merseysideskeptics.org.uk, which is having its 10th anniversary this year with a special one-day conference in Liverpool on the 6th of July, which sounds absolutely brilliant. Um, Michael also works with the goodthinkingsociety.org, which teaches critical thinking to school children. And if you're a teacher, it's very well worth checking out. Um, and lastly, Michael does a podcast called Be Reasonable, where he interviews people who often believe in outlandish conspiracy theories. Um, recently, he's had someone who thinks Stanley Kubrick was involved in faking the moon landings, uh, which is bonkers. Um, I find them very hard to listen to, I'll be honest, because Michael is so calm and I just want to scream and shout at the people he talks to. But uh, it's what he's brilliant uh, in doing. He can actually chat to them and listen to them and then give you know good reasons as to why they're wrong without them getting too upset. But anyway, check it out. Um, have a listen. I will pop a link in the podcast blurb. Um, also, as I mentioned before, if you have extra time on your hands or rather your ears. I mean, I assume you don't need your hands to listen to this show, do you? Maybe to hold your ear horn in? Well, look, if you do have spare ear time, head all the way back to episode 44, where Michael first guested on the show and talked all about what to do with fake news and critical thinking, which is all sadly still relevant today. Boo to the world, yay for Michael. I think I've got the next three weeks of guests all lined up, but it's always handy to have some in the back pocket ready for future weeks. And it's embarrassing to say, um, but it'd be really great to get more BAME guests, um, as this year's stock of chats has been very white indeed. Um, not always my choice. I often sort of contact campaigns uh, and just uh, get told who's available. Um, but I sort of realised the other day that yeah, most people this year have been uh, white, apart from a couple people from Migrant Voice. So um, any recommendations on that front would be brilliant. Um, let me know who to talk to, what to talk to them about and what hat I should be wearing while I do it. What do you mean you don't know about interview hats? What are you talking about? I'm currently donning a pith helmet for maximum pithy effect. Um, you can tell me all about all those things by dropping me a line at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group that I keep forgetting to use, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could style a hat and name it after your preferred guest. And then once I don it, I'll both know who and how to chat to a specific person. Oh, I see. Uh, today I'll have to interview um, Jeremy Stetson. Is that is that a person? Oh, no, wait, it's the wrong hat, isn't it? Sorry, let me grab one of the other hats. Uh, maybe it's uh, Susan Trilby. No, wait, sorry, still not. Uh, Fez Stevens. Oh, this is really hard. Nigel Farage Cap. No, I'm not interviewing him. Ugh, awful, awful idea. Look, as always, it's probably much easier to email. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Cheers to your ears for having a go. And if you enjoy this show, then please do donate to the Kofi or Patreon sites, review the show on your pod app of use, and tell everyone you've ever known, alive or dead, to give it a listen. I'm fairly sure that you can get it on the other side, you know, with a I wounds or pod boom. Okay, I'll stop. Um, and if you don't enjoy the show because of bits like that, then rather than tell people about it, why not spend today trying to fight a brick wall? 
thanks. Um, thanks, as always, to Acast for hosting this show amongst its cavalcade of sound treats. My brother, the last sceptic for all the music, and it's his birthday this week, so do go buy his albums online. Go do that, go on, do it. And to Cat Dave for typing up all the linear liner notes that you can look up at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk. This will be back next week when Theresa May announces that Baphomet's humongous form appearing above Westminster and booming down that she's failed humanity and that she's shit and she knows it before smiting a few special advisers is just affirmation that she needs to stay in her job as PM for at least another ten years in order to carry on her good work. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Securigav, the surefire way to make sure you or your company's secrets won't get leaked out by any foreign agency because our defence expert Gavin Williamson will use all his hard power to leak them out himself first. Worried about China, Russia or them sneaky Luxembourgians stealing your blueprints to your new secret war device? Well, worry no more as happy-go-lucky Gavin will take a break from pulling legs off insects to feed to his pet tarantula in order to give all your blueprints to the press before you've finished handing them over. That way, everyone at home will have a fancy war device before China's even had a chance. Security Gav. Defence so bad, it's offensive. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.